0: And so our joke was, as we gathered together, we were all going to have to sit in a circle with our backs to each other, talk to each other uh, by typing on our lap. Welcome to the Exponential Groups Podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of the Exponential Groups podcast. My name is Alan White and I am your host. And today I'm also going to be your guest. We're going to do something a little bit different. Many of you uh, submitted questions in our online survey last month. And so today we're going to do an Ask Alan episode to answer as many of your questions as we reasonably can. And you'll be able to find the show notes for this episode over at alanwhite.org forward slash uh, 12. It's alan, A-L-L-E-N, white.org, and then forward slash 12, just the number 12. If we haven't met, I've written four books on small group ministry, including Exponential Groups, Unleashing Your Church's Potential. I've had the privilege of serving on staff at two churches, one in California, one in South Carolina, I've coached over 1,500 churches in the last 17 years, and yes, it is weird talking about myself like this right now. All right. In addition to coaching 20 churches right now, I also serve as the outsourced life group pastor for a church in Lansing, Michigan. I blog weekly at alanwhite.org. My wife and I have been married for nearly 22 years, and we have four children ranging in age from eight to 20. And last summer, we moved back to my hometown of Topeka, Kansas, after being away for 38 years. So here we go. Now, you guys have some great, great questions, and I've just picked a handful of them. And I'm going to answer as as many as I can in the next uh, 30 minutes. But we'll also uh, answer these questions in other ways. And if you submitted a question, I'll let you know when your answer is uh, going to come up on podcast. All right. Our first question is from uh, Mike Willis at High Point Church in Lake Wells, Florida. And Mike asks, What are some of the best ways to help new groups continue after their initial launch? And this is a great question, Mike. Go to all of the trouble, all of the effort of recruiting a leader and forming a group. And maybe you're doing an alignment series or a 40-day campaign. And then at the end of that, you just watch the whole thing, you know, fall off the cliff. That is just It's a heartbreak. And so there are some ways that even in forming the group that will dictate you know, whether or not that group will continue. So a couple of things that I would suggest right off the bat. The first is how you form the group. The more relationship there is going into the group, the better chance that the group will have to continue later on. And what I mean is that groups of friends tend to last longer than groups of strangers. So as you have people that step up to lead a group or host a group or start a group, whatever you want to call it, ask them to think about people that are in their life, people that they already know and make a list and pray over the list and invite some folks to uh, join their group and then ask the people that they invited who they know because everybody doesn't have to be connected to the leader or the host, but it's good that everybody's connected to somebody and then maybe once the group's about half full, maybe a little more Uh, Then they can take some signups either at a connection event or off of the website or um, what have you. But the more relationship you have going into the group, the better chance that the group is going to have at actually continuing. The second thing is that every new leader would have a coach. It actually is going to get into another question that we're going to ask in a minute. It's important for every new leader to have somebody to walk alongside them, somebody that's going to ask their questions. Somebody that's going to encourage them. What I have found is that you will lose more new groups from when they say yes to lead a group until the start of the group. You lose more in that window than you do if they even do the whole series. You want to have somebody there checking in on them, encouraging them because they're bound to get discouraged. You know, they'll say, "Well, you know, I invited a couple of people and they turned me down." And uh, so I don't think I'm going to do a group. I think this was a bad idea. In fact, I had one couple of years ago. um, We'll call them uh, Ray and Pam because those were their names. I asked them one Sunday morning. I said, how's your group coming along? Now, Ray and Pam had left a group that they loved in order to start a new group, which was a rare thing. It was a big thing. And so I asked them, how's it going? And they said, well, we think this is a mistake. We don't think we should have left our group because we've invited 20 people to be a part of our group. And all 20 of them said no. And on the outside, you know, I'm just kind of giving them the, you know, pastor poker face, you know, uh huh, uh huh, understanding, empathetic. On the inside, I'm like, whoa, no way. I said, uh, you know, it, the, that little prayer you whisper to God to say the right thing. I said, God, give me something to say to them. I said, you know, I said, you guys had your idea of um, you know what your group should be, but uh, let's pray and let's ask God what his idea is for your group. And so a week later they called me and they said, Pastor Allen, please stop sending people to our group because we've got 14 people in our group and with all of our kids, we're gonna have a house full and there's no way we can accommodate everybody. Now, how many people had I actually sent to their group? Well, exactly zero but we prayed, but here's the point. And it wasn't that I asked the question. It's that somebody asked the question, how they were doing them and encouraged them to continue on in pursuing. Because I mean, you could imagine if you had invited 20 people to something, you would be incredibly discouraged and wouldn't want to continue. And so in that moment on that day, they had the right encouragement. Now here's the cool thing is going, that group continued on. Another couple took over as leaders after a while and that group went for at least 10 years than I know of, if they hadn't had that in that moment. So the way the group is formed the more relationship going in, the second thing is coaching. The third thing is, and I don't know why we didn't think of this years ago, offer them a next step. How do you get the group to continue? Give them a reason to continue. And now not all of them will. If you follow the things that I'm giving you here, 80% of them. Will you know if you don't? Then you know you're you're kind of in the weeds, and you don't know uh, how many are going to continue. So give them a next step, and it so in the middle of the current series, you want to tell them what the next series is. Don't give them a choice. Don't send them to a streaming service and say. Pick out of one out of you know a thousand choices of what study you're going to do next because they're going to get completely lost in the choices. What I would encourage you, again, for your new groups, choose the next step study for them to go into. In the middle of the current study, say, oh by the way, if you enjoy meeting together, we're going to offer you this other study that you can continue into. And like I said, eight out of ten of them uh, should continue right along with you. The ones they can't continue, I mean, be, just be gracious. They fulfill their commitment, thank them for that. And who knows, You know, I've had groups a year later come back and start a group that ended up being an ongoing group. The other thing is that maybe the person who started the group can't continue the group, but give an option. If there's somebody else in the group who would be willing to host the group, if there's somebody else in the group who'd be willing to facilitate the questions, the discussion, You know, give them some options other than yes or no. So those three things, the relationship that goes into the group, the coaching, somebody to walk alongside the leader and encourage them, and then lastly, offering them a next step in order to continue. And those three things should help you together, should help you keep your new groups going after the initial launch. So Mike, thank you very much for your question. Our next question comes from uh, Rodney Buck, and Rodney is with Fox River Christian in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And Rodney's question is this, How do you make coaching work? If you've followed me for any length of time, you know that I have quite a bit to say about um, coaching. I am a big believer in coaching. So, how do you make it work? The first thing you have to consider is that coaching is built on a relationship. You want to make sure that you have coaches, you have leaders. When you match them up, start with where they have relationship already. And uh, if they don't, then they can get to know each other. But if they've come out of a group you know, to start a group, then the leader of their former group would ideally be the right coach for them. Uh, But here's here's the way I start. Don't get overwhelmed by this. You need to give a coach, first of all, to the people who need it the most. And so who needs a coach the most? Well, new leaders need to coach the most. So anytime you recruit a group of new leaders or you make an appeal, your pastor makes an invitation for people to open up their homes or to invite their friends and do the next aligned series, then make sure every single one of those new leaders, just like I said on how you get them to continue, make sure every single one of those new leaders has an experienced leader to walk alongside them at least for when they sign up until the end of that series. And then hopefully the coach will want to continue with them. That's the way to start. Then they know that every every new leader in your church gets coach. And that's just the normal thing that happens in your church. So that works. The second thing you want to do is down the road, look at your experienced leaders, because every single one of us has a spiritual next step. And every single one of us needs a coach. And so we look at our experienced leaders and maybe we match them up with you know, other experienced leaders that they have a relationship with. And, and again, it's not high frequency. If they have experience and they haven't been coached, they've proven that they can pretty much get along on their own, right? They don't need a lot of help but everybody needs those times to carve out a little, you know, a little bit of a space to reflect on what God's doing in your group and what the next steps are for your members. For experienced leaders, they may only need to meet with the coach four times a year and then to be available when other things come up. But the uh, new leaders, they need more frequency. They need more direction. They need more support. But if you impose that on an existing leader, that announcement's going to be met with anything from, you know, suspicion to resentment because, you know, they'll say, well, I've gone this long without a coach. Why do I need a coach now? Or, you know, have you heard something about our group uh why 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 is a coach looking in on us at this point you know and you you could just imagine all of that so start with your new leaders because they need the most help and they're going to be the most accepting of a coaching relationship then go back after you've got your new leaders covered after you've got this coaching established and then begin to begin to kind of backfill and cover your other your other leaders I'm going to leave you this on coaching. And I've talked about this recently. I just did an episode of the Group Talk podcast with Carolyn Takeda. Actually, it was a re-broadcast of a podcast episode we did a number of years ago, uh, which was the most popular episode on the uh, Small Group Network's uh, Group Talk podcast, by the way, which is kind of interesting. But listen to that with Carolyn. I'll put that in the show notes. I have a course on coaching exponential groups. I'll put that in the show notes got a number of uh, posts that I've written over the years. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But here's the main thing when it comes to coaching. And a coach taught me this. He said, when it comes to expectations, expectations should be clear, reasonable, and accountable. Expectations should be clear, reasonable, and accountable. So be clear. So when I recruit an experienced leader to walk alongside a new leader, clear. I say, what I want you to do is I want you to Call them once a week from when they come to the new leader briefing until the end of the series. Call them once a week, answer their questions, and encourage them. So I'm clear. That's what I want them to do. Secondly, it needs to be reasonable. Would you take on one or two new leaders? Because it's a weekly phone call. And so I'm not asking them to take on 10 or 12. I'm asking them to take on one or two. So it's clear, reasonable. The third is accountable. So if I'm expecting them to make these phone calls, and I believe, That checking in on these new leaders and encouraging them and supporting them is important, then I'm going to inspect what I expect, right? So I have to pick up the phone and call the experienced leader, call the coach, and say, What are you learning from your new leaders? What are you hearing from your new leaders? I'm not going to call them and say, Hey, are you making your phone calls this week? Because I recruited good people and I expect that they're going to abide by their commitment, but we all need that nudge. And so I pick up the phone and I say, hey, what are you learning from your leaders? What are you hearing? Because I want to know. I want to know how they're doing. I want to know if they like the curriculum. I want to know how the group's going. I want to know if there's any, you know, any problem that's going on. Maybe there's, you know, something going on with the curriculum. Maybe there's something needs to be communicated to all of the groups. I want to know. And if they tell me, oh, I haven't had a chance to make my calls this week. So let's say, you know, it's Tuesday and I've called them and they haven't made their calls this week. I said, that's all right. Why don't you take the next couple of days to make your calls and I'll call you back on Thursday to hear what you found out. So now I've given them a deadline. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing in this whole deal is you picking up the phone to call the coach to hear what's going on. And I don't know why that's hard. I don't know if we're afraid of what we might hear. We're afraid that it's not working I don't know what it is, but I tell you what, when you pick up the phone and you ask what's going on with the groups and what you're hearing, you're going to hear some amazing stories of people that have been encouraged, people that are growing, people that have come to Christ as a result of the group. So don't hesitate to pick up the phone. It's an important job that you've asked the leader to do. And so you need to follow through, make sure that they follow through because, you know, lives are at stake in all of this. And we want to make sure that we're making disciples because that's what all of this is about. So check out the uh, resources that I mentioned in the show notes. I wish I I could just talk on coaching for days, but uh, just kind of a brief snapshot of where you can go with coaching and how to make it work. All right. Our next question comes from uh, Wayne Fulton. Wayne is at Whitby Christian Assembly in Whitby, Ontario, Canada. And so Wayne writes, as a suburban small group pastor, should I be encouraging virtual groups that form during the pandemic to transition to a home group model in the coming months? What challenges do you anticipate uh, with this? A lot of this, I feel, is entirely up to the group. Some people would prefer to meet online. Some people would prefer to meet in person. And it is completely a personal uh, preference. I did my first online group in 1994 on. CompuServe. Yeah. So I may be like the grandfather of online small groups. And I actually had a member of that group that came to Christ as a result. And we have been friends now for you know, twenty-seven years, which is pretty amazing. So, CompuServe, you know, back with the dial-up modem, back before the internet was popular, back before America Online was sending you DVDs in the mail every day. So, our group gathered together in Southern California, where my uh, friend lived, who came to Christ. We all converged on this house. There was a couple from Idaho. There was one other member from uh, Southern California. It was a member from um, the Chicago area. I was in Northern California at the time. We all converged on this house. I, I. Baptized my friend Greg uh, in his jacuzzi. That's the Southern California way, right there. Uh, but our joke was, how are we going to communicate? Because on CompuServe at the time, the only means we had to communicate was a message board and a chat room. So there was no voice, there was no audio. I mean, back with dial-up, I mean, good grief! You know, you download a picture, you didn't hope you, you know, it would come be downloaded in a couple of days because everything was so slow. We can't even relate to that now. And so our joke was, as we gathered together, because we had never really talked, we talked a little on the phone, but we never talked, we never really, you know, we had we didn't do video we, that wasn't even available back then. And so our joke was, as we gathered together, we were all going to have to sit in a circle with our backs to each other, talk to each other uh, by typing on our laptops. Now- The truth was we had enough gregarious personalities in our group that uh, that broke the ice and uh, we got communicating. But there is a little bit of a shift going from online to in-person. The other thing you want to consider is what's working for people. And so I know that there are people that are comfortable in attending in-person worship services, but they want to keep their online small group because they have small children. And so they put their children to bed. And then after their children are in bed, then they get online and they do their group over Zoom. Or you have people that during the pandemic did what I did and moved away. And so they're in a group, they were in an online group. Well, now they're in a physically distant location and uh, they couldn't meet in person if they wanted to. But in order to maintain you know, their membership in the group and to be part of it, you may have to keep the group um, online. Now, I know some groups have tried to do a hybrid of, Some people being, you know, meeting in person and then some people there via Zoom or whatever. Um, I don't know about you. I've just found that arrangement to be highly awkward. So I'm not sure if people are going to be up for that or not. There's also the sense of, you know, meeting online. There's a convenience to it. I don't have to you know rush home from work, have dinner, get myself and or my children in the car, drive to somebody's house, be there for a 2-hour meeting, come home, get kids to bed, you know, all of that stuff. I could just turn on my computer for an hour or so and have my group meeting and then turn it off. It's not the same as an in-person group. It's a different experience, but for some people that's working. So I would leave your options open. If a group wants to continue to meet online, Great. If a group wants to transition and meet in person, great. What if you know? I, I had one question from a a small group a leader. They said um, they had a group that half of them were over, you know, meeting online, and they wanted to meet in person, and the other half of the group still wanted to meet online. And what should they do? And so I asked the leader. I said, Well, which ones do you like the best, right? <laughs> but the potential is that if you have groups that they. You know they don't want to continue the way they are, and some of them want to meet in person, but some of them are not ready for that, or they want to continue to meet online. Then you have the potential to start two groups out of every group, and I don't know any uh, small group pastor in the world that's going to cry over you know multiplying your groups like that. So I think that uh, again, virtual groups, you know, we'll see how it goes, and it's not just Zoom; it's a lot of other things, Facebook groups and Marco Polo groups and you know, groups on discord and, you know, wherever people are finding community. And so they may not all be local, so they can't meet in person, or they may just prefer to continue meeting um, how they're meeting. So thanks for that question. All right. Our last question that we're going to take today is from Steve Gedden, And Steve is at Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. And, uh, Steve's question is, how to inspire small group participation in a church that has never had them and doesn't see a need for them. Wow, that sounds that sounds like an uphill climb. And so I would ask you a few questions as we go into this. Why do you want small groups? What What need do you see them fulfilling in your church? Or what are your people currently doing? Because I mean, you know our, our goal here, our, our mission is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say go and make small groups. So even to get more granular, how is your church making disciples? And you can make disciples in a lot of different ways, not just in small groups. So maybe they're in Sunday school and maybe, you know, in a Sunday school class, they're having some connection. They're having some teaching. Hopefully they'll have a little bit of discussion and teachers not lecturing them for an hour. What are the ways that people are currently having that need met? And then if you're creating interest, I mean, I'm a big advocate that the number one way to uh, create interest among your congregation is by how ha- creating interest with your senior pastor. And that doesn't mean to harangue your senior pastor about, well, you need to be the spokesperson for groups. And if you're not the spokesperson for groups, this is never going to work in our church. I wouldn't go at it that way. I would go at it a different way. First of all, how does your pastor feel about small groups? And you know, and if they're in favor of it, then just say, hey, could you help me? Could you help me? Other ways to get your senior pastor interested? Well, one of the things we've discovered over the years is that your people would rather study materials featuring teaching from your senior pastor more than anybody else that's out there? And so, if you if you go to your senior pastor and you say, uh, Pastor. What I'm learning is that our people really want more of your teaching. So could we do a sermon discussion guide? And could you make a little video that goes with that? Or could we do an Align series, however far you want to take it? Well, when you tell your pastor that your people want more of their teaching, that's pretty irresistible. Come on. So get your senior pastor involved. I remember a pastor years ago uh, down in Florida that uh, we spent a day with him. Uh, we were coaching their team on how to shoot the video. And so he re- recorded the content and then they had other members of their team that were going to write the study guide and put it together. But the next day he you know pulled us into his office and he said, uh, now, he said, we've shot this uh, video. Uh, we're going to write these materials and, and create this book. Um, he said, now, how do we recruit leaders and how do we get people connected into groups? And later in the day, his discipleship pastor pulled me aside and he said, I've been trying to get my senior pastor interested in groups for two years, he said, and you just did it. I mean, it was almost like an accusation. And I just smiled at him. I said, well, you know, I'm Alan White. Uh, No, I did not say that. That is not what I said. But the reason that the pastor was suddenly interested in recruiting leaders and connecting people into groups was because he had made an investment. So not only will your people be more interested in groups, if your pastor is, you know, on the video teaching, but your pastor will be more interested in groups because once the pastor has made an investment, has a little skin in the game, if you will, then they're going to make sure that those groups are going to succeed and they're going to get leaders. And that church actually did three of those in one nine month period, which was a bit daunting. Uh, You can do that once. You might need to do that once and then uh, do one in the fall, one in the new year, one in the spring to get things going. You don't have to do that every year after that, but they actually went from about 30% of their people in groups to, uh, well over a hundred percent of their people in groups, and so they had people, they had groups of people that <laughs> didn't even attend the church. You know, members of the groups were 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 invited, um, but they weren't even part of the church, and that worked really, really well for them. The other thing that you can give your pastor is research. I've created a little document; it's a free ebook you can download. I'll put it in the show notes. It's called the Senior Pastor's Guide to Groups, and what that book will show you, based on research, recent research as well as research going back thirty years is that people who are in groups will attend more, they will serve more, they will learn, grow more, they will invite more people, they will give more. And again, it's not anecdotal. I mean, I could give you stories of how that's happened in a lot of churches, but this is research from very different sources that shows the benefit of small groups. I mean, just a couple of things, the, the fact that in the uh, the megachurch report that came out at the beginning of 2020. Uh, Churches that had 60% or more in groups, between 2015 and 2020, those churches grew by 79%. And here's another little tidbit of that, is that the people in groups gave 11% more than the people who weren't in groups. And if you want to actually hear that from the horse's mouth, if you will, uh, that information came from Dr. Warren Bird in my very first episode of the Exponential Groups podcast. And so it's worth listening, not just because it's mega churches. Uh, the reason they study mega churches is because mega churches are open to experimenting. But a large section of that report uh, that came out at the beginning of 2020 had to do with small groups, but it also goes to Lifeway Research. It goes to, you know, a Princeton professor from 30 years ago. So go to the show notes and look at that senior pastor's guide to groups. Find out where your senior pastor is headed and then follow them and say, hey, could we do groups with that? What is your pastor passionate about? Leadership, evangelism, um, teaching, what, whatever your pastor is passionate about. You know, you should be like small groups on the brain and figure out a way to connect your pastor's passion with creating more groups in your church and then create materials with your pastor's teaching because it'll be more popular with your people, be more popular with your pastor, and then give your pastor all of that research that shows you know why small groups are so great and how they'll benefit your church. Thank you for all the great questions. I'm sorry that I couldn't get to all of them today, but look for a shorter Ask Alan segment in upcoming podcast episodes, as well as answers through the blog. And I'll let you know when I give an answer to uh, your question. Now, what you've all been waiting for is the big giveaway. So we are gonna go over here, wheelofnames.com, And I have the names loaded in here of the folks who submitted a question and our winner is, oh, listen to the applause. Our winner of five free coaching sessions from last month's survey is Rodney Buck from Fox River Christian in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Congratulations, Rodney. And I will contact you and give you all of the details of what you need to know about getting this coaching that coaching session. So if you have a question for a future Ask Alan segment of the podcast, I'm not going to go back and do a whole episode like this again. I did this time. Uh, you can submit your questions to alanwhite.org forward slash ask Alan. And again, Alan is two L's and an E. So alanwhite.org forward slash ask Alan will also be in the show notes. And we're going to offer other great prizes each month, maybe not as big as five free coaching sessions, uh, but we'll offer other great prizes coming up. So submit your questions there and I'll be happy to answer them for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exponential Groups podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it wherever you listen to your podcast and tell your friends about it. Now, this episode completes the first year of the Exponential Groups podcast. And I would like to thank this year's guests, which included Dr. Warren Bird, Jay Cranda, Chip Ingram, Elliot Diaz, Monica Lee, Mark Richardson, Carolyn Takeda, Phil Cook, Bill Willets, Nick Lindsay, and Bill Donahue. Our guest for next month's episode, episode 13, our guest is Heather Zimple, Discipleship Pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and the author of several books, including Community is Messy. You won't want to miss it. So until next time, this is Alan White helping you take the guesswork out of groups.